with another episode of Jackman Radio, perhaps the final episode of the dumpster fire that is known as 2020. I'm your host, Mike Jackman, joined as always by Eric Jackman, the other host, the other twin, the other Bolin girl. And uh, Jesus, yeah, this this will probably be it to close out the year, Mike, I think. I would say so. Yeah, today is December 16th when we're recording this. It's probably going to be out tonight or tomorrow by December 17th, so... Not much will probably change, but a lot will change. Look, a lot's going to change. A lot of people are sick. They're dying. They're going to die. They will have died. Bullets so. flying in the other direction. It would have never, MacArthur never would have let it happen if MacArthur was in charge of security at schools. It would have never happened, you know? Exactly. So we always like to do kind of a Christmas episode of Jackman Radio. We've kind of been doing that since 2015. So we may have wow. missed a year or two. I don't know. But this is our Christmas edition of Jackman Radio, jam-packed, triple- quadruple stuffed oreo episode oh my god dude how good are dub ores oh dub ores dude there's like quad or now i think <laughs> quad or bypass I think, yeah quadruple oreo bypass quad quad bobby or <laughs> i think so i think you just take the cream you put the cream in the milk and you just kind of like drink it all and you take like the cookie like the actual like chocolate cookie and you put it aside and save it for any day you might not even eat it Oh my God! The thing is, too, when you get the pack of Or Ors, um, you already have heartburn when you get when you buy the pack before you even open it. Oh, it's horrendous! You know what you're going into. You might as well be eating like you know, 16 slices of pepperoni pizza from I a think, hockey rink. I think they have uh, Agent Orange and Oreos or something, man. They have some kind of chemi- Dow Corning chemical or something. Yeah, Agent Oreos. Yeah. Oh. 100 percent. so this year christmas is going to look a little bit different for us i think it will probably look a little bit different for everybody we're going to have a small jackman chinese dinner i mean jackman chinese dinners at the height we're talking 20 30 35 people 30 people yeah probably at the zenith 30 people back in the day when grandpa was alive and dad and and uh you know everybody was together we're, we're probably talking at least 25 people yeah, and we would go to um, uh, in Sudbury, the China House. Lotus Blossom. Lotus Blossom for Grandpa's birthday in February and then on Christmas. And Grandpa would pay for everybody. Burr, we're going out for your birthday. And then he'd, pay, he'd buy for everyone. <laughs> he'd keep Burr, you need another, guy. <laughs> Newfie. You need another order of wings there, buddy? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, he would. He'd comp the whole thing, wouldn't he? He'd buy for everyone. And our sister, Lara, would be like, you know, can I get my own order of Crab Rangoons? And it'd be like, of course you can. Oh, yeah. Those you are tween, Tween's favorite is Crab Rangoons. Everybody gets whatever they want and enough of it, too. That's what, the Jackman motto. What's Whenever the nutri- Jackman show up for a Christmas party or any kind of gathering, we, we usually end up bringing a lot of food and alcohol because we have to cover ourselves first. And then there's everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so true, dude. Tony, when we would go to um, mom's side for Christmas, he would actually bake, make, get up early and make, cut up like, you know, 10 pounds of potatoes for home fries and cook them up and then put them in a container that would, he'd wrap it and make sure it stayed heated. And a bunch of sausages, too, yeah. Oh, it was industrial. He, he treated it like it was like a car, a building project he was doing. He, he was, oh, we're going to fucking bring the spud, man. There's not enough fucking food. Coming down from the north, we're going to have enough fucking food. And then he would, he would put it in one of those big casserole dishes, put paper, put not paper towel, actual bath towel, and then wrap it up in duct tape. Put it in the back of whatever Volvo he was selling that week that he had that had enough gas to get us there and back with a dealer plate on it. Wrap it in duct tape, bring it down, and it would still be piping hot when he unwrapped it and ready to serve two hours oh, later. Oh, that's incredible. And there would actually be enough food for everybody. True story. 
<laughs> true story. Well, yeah, if I'm going somewhere, man, I bring enough beer for myself and then for the guests. Yeah, but what did the horde say, Mike? It's customary to bring a 30 for the house. That's a house 30 right there, plus two pies. <laughs> so he's bringing 30 cold beers for everybody that's already there that is, um, you know, unemployed, underemployed, you know, making a dollar three eighty an hour. It doesn't even really matter. He's bringing the suds for the house. You know, he's, he's covered, you're covered, and he's bringing pies. And that's, that's the ethos, I think, that we try to bring when we go somewhere. That's why I guess we get, keep getting invited back to places. Cause keep getting invited back, yeah. As, as Phil Payne showed said, you know, the Jackman Brothers, demons to some, angels to others. Like explorers that. in the further regions of experience. It might not be everybody's cup of tea, but for people who love us, we seem to keep getting uh, renewed season by season. <laughs> at least, at least in, in syndication, we get the uh, checks. That's ridiculous. That's incredible. Yeah, the holidays are uh, holidays are you know it's uh, they're where they are now, man. I think people are realizing that all the hoopla, stampeding each other to death for a fucking three hundred dollar TV, and it's just not worth it. They don't want to do it anymore. Now there's a deadly virus out there, so there's even less incentive to do it. The rebates fucking suck. Nobody really wants to go out and do it anymore. They'd rather have an Amazon fucking drone send it, some slave wiping it down, and then on a Thursday, it gets to you by Thursday night. you still got their sweat on it, you know, but <laughs> at least it came in time. You know, is my uh, package there yet? I ordered my package this morning. It hasn't come yet. What the fuck is wrong with the post service? I think we should abolish the United States Postal Service. I think we should get rid of UPS and FedEx. What the fuck? Where's my package? Those people should all be killed. <laughs> you know you, first of all you live in the united states of america okay second of all your fucking fat ass can get on an electronic device that was made by some fucking slave in a third world country and they got leukemia or some kind of weird fucking cancer or some fucking growth coming off of their shoulder with like a two-headed monster from evil dead 2 and you still fucking get the thing under the manufacturer's suggested retail price so shut the fuck up. What the fuck are you even complaining about? I want my Black Friday special. I want my Manic Monday special. I want my sabbatical Sunday special. You fucking suck. The convenience that we have in a country, even during a fucking pandemic, when there's all these people suffering, there's people being evicted from their, their houses, there's healthcare workers who are getting sick and dying, and it's just a fucking disaster. And you still have people bitching about their shipping. If they don't get their stupid fucking trinket in fucking two to four business days, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Like, if I get anything delivered to my house, I'm happy about it. I don't care what it is. Look, I'm happy to even get junk mail at this point. At least it's a message from the outside world. It's a signal. It's like a smoke signal coming in, you know? You got something coming through the door. And working from home and seeing the mail come through the door slot every day, it's almost like a prisoner getting his gruel shoved into the fucking sleeve in his jail cell as a reminder that there's humanity outside the door that's signaling and saying hi through Morse code. That's so true, Mike. Yeah, when we hear the... Um we hear the uh, door slot opening and like, basically, you know, you've made it another day when all the mailers come and all the bullshit, yeah. all the um, easy pass bills from the random time you were in Massachusetts six months ago that you forgot about. You're like, oh, fuck, I drove through that toll. Well, we're not going to talk about when we were in mass before March because that's a crime. So that's minority. Oh, report. We're not going to even talk. We so have family. In don't tell Capo Cuomo, folks. Capo Cuomo in New York, folks, is a gangster. What does Tim Dillon call a meatball? Yeah, he's him and his brother, a couple of meatballs. Andrew, what is it, Andrew and Mario? Or no, Andrew and, um, or no, Mario was the father. It, Mario was the father gangster. The two Capo Guido meatball sons are Chris and Andrew. So they don't even need to remake uh, uh, Goodfellas or Casino or, 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 or Godfather. Bronx, you know, 
Just watch one of Cuomo's fucking press conferences and you got it. Yeah, watch those meatballs and see where, where they go. I, I love that. Tim Dillon's like, I just call him meatball. Do you think Biden's going to nominate Cuomo for something? I think so. Secretary of meatballs. AG, Secretary of Attorney Meatball. God. Yeah, so Christmas, we're, uh, we'll do a small thing uh, with the Jackman side, and then we're going to take our mom out for her birthday this weekend, which I'm excited about. You know? <coughs> yeah, Lady Goss. Duke's birthday. Yeah, we, uh, anyone who knows our mom, we call her Goss. That's her name. We don't really call her mom. Maybe sometimes we do. Connie. She, Connie, yeah, she's Lady Goss. She's Lady Gertrude. Uh, Connie. And, uh, she has a really good sense of humor dealing with the likes of us. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's, she's been putting up with us for 34 years. 34 years that Carol's been dealing with you and I, dude. She, first of all, she had to harbor us in her womb. Yeah. And deal with that. Deal with all that bullshit that comes with that. And then she had to birth us. And then since then, she's had to kind of, like, listen to us and deal with us. So yeah. when I talk Nobel or sainthood, like, I think, I think they can prove at least two miracles for Carol. So there's time for one more. When Mel Gibson's like, you listen to my fucking ranting. Yeah, exactly. You know? She really humors the Trump thing, too. Yeah, I know. She has for the last 14 years. She has. When we first started, Mike, we would say, Mom, what's Rosie? She's disgusting. And, and, we'd and, be like, and then Car- Carol would be like, okay, enough with the freaking Trump. Okay, we're about to go into this patty here. I don't want to hear any more about Trump. I've been listening to it for two hours. And like five minutes later, it'd be like, Mom, what's Rosie? She's disgusting now. Enough with the Trump. Yeah, and I'd be like, Rosie O'Donnell's disgusting, Mom. You know, we, she's we a walking slob. up the doorsteps, yeah. <laughs> we had to get it out before we got in, you know? Yeah, we had to be somewhat normal. But, you know, how could we ever be normal, though, Mike, after him? No. We'd never be the same again, like Jeff Lynn says in Telephone Line. Never going to be the same again. Are we incomplete? He's everything and then some. We owe everything to him. What does they yeah. say? He's the sun, the moon, and the stars in the ocean? He's the moon, the sun, the stars, and the ocean. He's the air that I breathe. He's the wind beneath my winds. He occupies my every waking thought. He's my, li- he's my entire life. And there's, what, 80 million people who feel that way? Something like that. That's just in America. <laughs> How about the shrines in India where they have, like, goats dude. on the altar and they have, like, the fucking handmade posters? Like, dude, they love the king over in India. One of them was st- doing a uh, food or a, a hunger strike and he died, right? Oh, Jesus, really? Do you remember hearing about that? He was, <laughs> he was doing a pro-king hunger strike and he, he ultimately didn't get the, enough nutrition and he died. He should have, we should have sent him an order of Trump steaks. Why didn't we send those to him? Like, I, probably Chris Christie ate them or Sloppy Steve. Or I could have got him like a Big Mac when I, I brought one to Rocket Man. I had at least another extra unless Chris Christie ate it. God. So we hope everyone else enjoys their Christmas and, uh, you know, lets the humor come in. Yeah. Let's love into their hearts. Yeah, it's Merry, be okay. Merry Christmas to you because we're bringing Christmas back bigger, better, and more Christian than ever. And we're saying Merry Christmas again, quite frankly. You know, it's the people, stronger than it's ever been. And uh, the the cups at Starbucks. The people, Mike, who like they they fight that battle about the they claim there's a war on Christmas. First of all, like your religion's made up, and then your holidays made up. Like it's all a made up premise. It's basically and- fighting. It's fighting, and we're giving you time off from school and time off of work. What more do you want? It's fighting over Disney characters, which is just fucking incredible. So I know. Do you like Ariel or Captain Hook better? Or you know, like yeah. Well, I'm partial to Fern Gully. I don't know. Ariel if had nice boo-boos. She's a redhead with nice boo-boos. Hot redhead. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, instead of talking about the war on Christmas, how about like talking about the failed war on drugs or war on terror farce? We spent. There's more outrage about the war on Christmas than there is on the war on terror. What's wrong with that picture? Yeah, speaking of cartoons, the War on Terror and the War on Drugs. At least we get the Sicario movies due with Benicio and uh, Josh Brolin. Dude, Benicio fucking kills everybody in those movies, Mike. He sends a pretty stark message, doesn't he? 
Uh, those are look. They're a dime a dozen. The fucking Sicario, War and Drug, Mexico movies. Those are standout to me, Mike. The first one I thought was I. Did you watch the second one? Yeah, I watched we, the second. We watched it together. Oh, we watched it together. I really, really liked the first one. It really disturbed me. It stuck with me. It was very different. Um, because yeah, like you said, dude, Sicario and, and Cartel and El Chapo. There's like a thousand documentaries on Netflix and Amazon. The dime a dozen bullshit. But Sicario the film which came out in I think 2015 or 16 and the sequel came out I think last year or 2018 uh Soldado or Day of the Soldado whatever it was called it was good but it was like it, you know was it slight dead horse a little bit I mean I like that they're they're telling the truth about the war on terror the war on drugs uh government agents cartels terrorists drug dealers it's all one and the same they're all the same well, what does Ryan Dawson say? CIA stands for Cocaine Import Agency. Yeah, exactly. Well, come mean, on, you got, Mike. You got these rent-to-terrorist pirates. You know? <laughs> They're pirateers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like Halloween. You can rent a terrorist. He's got a swashbuckling sword and a box cutter. You know, pick which one you want to stage your mutiny. You know, it's going to be farcical either way. It's going to be a fucking scam, and there's going to be a trillion dollars in defense ratchet. Oh, so, it's so good, Mike. Rent, Whether rent it's cocaine t- powder or green fucking, you know, paper. Monopoly right. paper money or green powder, it's fucking narco. Oh, it's so good, and it's all gov-operated. It's Yeah, cocaine import agency. It's uh, all gov all the time. I'm fucking here for it, dude. Well, <clears throat> makes the world go round. Yeah. So we're talking about the government and obviously our friend Tulsi Gabbard is leaving Congress in a few weeks, probably two or three weeks from now. And she is going out hot, man. She is, we knew that she wasn't going to go quietly and um, without uh, making some noise and bringing to light some important issues, um, you know, that are that are really not talked about, that aren't really dealt with, or kind of swept under the rug, and you know, not given their due in the media. Certainly not the media. Um, but today, today on uh, December sixteenth, her and Thomas Massey, the congressman who's very libertarian uh, oriented and pretty pretty pro liberty in a lot of ways. Interesting guy too. He's a, he's a real nerd which I like because we're all nerds to an extent. And um, <clears throat> he was highlighted and featured in the documentary, The Swamp with Matt Gates and Ro Khanna and um, Matt, G- yeah, Matt, G- Matt Gates is great. He, he was really humanized in that, uh, that show. And maybe, it made me like him, maybe like him on a lot of levels. I'd love to have a beer at Matt Gates at some point, but um, Thomas Massey and Tulsi introduced the bill today to repeal the Patriot Act which is awesome. No, you don't even hear about the fucking Patriot Act anymore. No one talks about it. It's just accepted law of the land. The fourth amendment doesn't exist. All they can spy. We don't need a warrant, all that bullshit. So Tulsi and Thomas Massey came together and put forth a bill to repeal the Patriot Act. And also she's got legislation out there to pardon Edward Snowden, um, to help Julian Assange in his case, um, and pardon him. And, um, I don't know. What do you think about all of it, Mike? I think it's great. I think it's, um, you know, she's in her 11th hour. So it's kind of like, why didn't she do this a little earlier? Which I understand why she didn't do it earlier, but it is drawing attention to these issues because since COVID things like terrorism and the surveillance state doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, there's no, there's no zoom school shootings. So that's good. We have to hear about that every five minutes. We don't hear about terrorism anymore. 
it really, really basically whatever the media covers, whatever MSNBC, CNN, or Fox, or any of those assholes have around their scroll 24-7 is what most people's reality is. That's just the way it is. So if they're not talking about these issues, then it's incumbent on somebody who has a platform or a following to talk about it. So I give her a lot of credit and a lot of props for, for even trying to do something. It's probably going to be symbolic. It might not even go to vote. It's certainly not going to pass, but it's nice that there's somebody in there who actually tried, actually tried to make a difference, raise these issues and use a, a seat in Congress is a powerful seat. I don't care what you say. It's a powerful seat, you know, and uh, I think it's a great thing that she's trying to use the platform that she has for the next couple of weeks, really, at this point, to raise some real issues in our country. Because uh, quite frankly, if these issues are not addressed and they don't change, we're, we're looking at permanent permanent freedom of speech being stifling, uh, journalists not being able to do their job and investigate crimes, cover-ups, and stories properly, um, not being able to serve as the fourth estate. So it's huge. There's huge ramifications, and I hope that it stays out there. And I'm glad to see Matt Gates and Amash and Massey, you know, supporting these type of things. Yeah, and it's not, it's, it's basically like Ron Paul's jigsaw, and this is his legacy, Mike. You know, and, and, and Tulsi's doing her best to keep that going. Uh, He's like Saw Six. He was like <laughs> the original Saw. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't be spying on Americans. We shouldn't be spending trillions overseas on wasteful regime change wars. We shouldn't be picking winners and losers, and we should back gold and audit and end the Federal Reserve. What are we, 20, 23 trillion in debt? Suppo- I mean, that's all, it's all I ones mean, and zeros and make-believe. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, what, what does that even mean, Mike? Well, when you hear like Republicans and these quote-unquote budget, ho- budget hawks talk about the debt, and they're like, they don't give a fuck about the debt. They decide when they're going to talk about it or, or make a stink about it or care about it. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even mean anything. It yeah. doesn't really – they fucking print it. They can print more of it. It's like when there's a, a hostage or a ransom situation. They need money. Just fucking print it. Put it in a wheelbarrow. Put it in a truck. Put it – you know, give it to D.B. Cooper. You know, ah. They had the money to give to D.B. Cooper when he hijacked that plane. Uh, what did he ask for, Mike, 200 large? <laughs> yeah, he wanted only two or 300, dude. That's cheap. Yeah. And that That's was, cheap, what, dude. 1971? That was like 71 Thanksgiving Eve, dude, when he did oh. his We just watched a great documentary about that called uh, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper. And there's – you know, there's a lot of, there's like a thousand different people out there who say, oh, my father was D.B. Cooper, my brother, my uncle, my friend, I know who D.B. Cooper was. And this documentary examines probably the top six uh, candidates and theories that have been floated by the FBI, um, by like private sleuths and investigators and people who've been interested in this. And uh, basically, if you haven't heard of D.B. Cooper, he was a... Uh, fellow probably in his you know late 30s early to mid 40s um who showed up on a plane wearing glasses uh, a suit and tie and quietly slipped a note to a stewardess on a flight and the note said i have a bomb you know do not alert the authorities these are my demands i want four parachutes and i want i think it was 250,000 or 300,000 in unmarked bills and you know, she ended up sitting next to him and kind of trying to keep him calm during the flight. They passed it up to the pilot. Uh, the pilots realized what was going on. Um, they signaled because they had to land and refuel. And they actually, they did grab the money. The money, it was marked bills. They grabbed the parachutes. And then when, when he got what he wanted, they said, well, hey, you got what you wanted. Can you at least let the rest of the passengers go? He actually, he agreed. He let all the passengers go. He kept a cool demeanor. He was huffing cigarette butts the whole time. This is when you could smoke on a plane 
back he was, then. He was not unreasonable, Mike. Well, my biggest problem with him would have been that he was smoking on a plane. Well, whatever. You want a hijacket, you got a bomb. Cool. Whatever. You know, just don't, just don't blow a cigarette smoke in my face. I don't care about the bomb. <laughs> so the, the stewardess was like, hey, he was like really polite to me the entire time. And that's kind of what sticks with me, like a very polite hijacker. Um, nobody was hurt. And then they got to a certain altitude. He demanded to be, you know, down 10,000, 10,000 feet. They opened up the back hatch of the thing. <laughs> he just fucking jumped out. Dude, it's incredible. Out, was never seen again. It's the stuff of legends. It's so this documentary is that they float several theories and several candidates who could potentially be D.B. Cooper. What do you think about it? Well, first of all, I'm glad the trans community is represented, okay, for the, for the D.B. Cooper thing. One of them, this is, which is an angle I never thought of. A, a biological male who did it then trans, becomes a woman and lives out, D.B. Cooper lives out his days as a woman, as a blonde woman. That's incredible. That was an incredible thing to think about. And there were some teeth to that, Mike. There's definitely something there. It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch it for free. It's called The Mystery of D.B. Cooper. I highly recommend it. There's great episodes from Unsolved Mysteries back in the day. There's yeah. the movie Without a Paddle, which kind of weaves into <laughs> D.B. Cooper narrative <laughs> in, into a comedy, which is great. Um, but it's something that – it is the only unsolved hijacking in American history. I, well, I think next to 9-11. I mean, 9-11 is not really – well, we got. We have to. Um, we can't talk about it without talking about Richard McCoy, who was an air. He was an aircraft hijacker. Uh, Richard McCoy hijacked United Airlines passenger jet for ransom in nineteen seventy-two. Copycat, copycat, right? Right. Due to a similar MO, law enforcement officials named McCoy as a suspect for the still unidentified DB Cooper, who committed his unsolved crime four and a half months before McCoy. So this dude very well could be DB Cooper. Or it could be the ultimate fanboy who was like, bro, you think you can fucking do that? I'm going to do that a hundred times better than you did it. No, he did it. He got away with it. He, he did it. He, he learned the lessons from right. where, because D.B. Cooper didn't necessarily know about the hatch that like opened up in the back. Yeah, and he, had a proper, he, he had to call back. didn't go down. <laughs> dude, the pilots had to give him, they got him the assist, dude. He was the, they were the fucking Kobe to his shack, dude. They fucking, they had that, dude. Mailman yeah, stalked him every day. The stalked week. into Malone. <laughs> It's fucking incredible, Mike. You know, it, uh, it's just kind of beyond. He, he's like a modern day Robin Hood, dude. He, he's like the original Occupy Wall Street. He captures hearts and minds. He became like a like a cult figure, dude. And people, people were like, dude, I love D.B. Cooper. Yeah, they interviewed people on the street. They're, they're like, yeah, fucking, yeah, hell yeah. They're like, hell yeah. They got stock footage of these dudes like coming from the mill yard in Pennsylvania. They're like, hell yeah. You know, they had to go work a shift for the man. They fucking love him. They're like, here's a guy who gained the system. He stuck it to the man, and he got 200 large and jumped out of a fucking commercial airliner. And then some kid found it in the beach like 90 miles. Dude, I like know, right? <laughs> I know. What the fuck's up with that, dude? And they did testing on the sand and shit. It's, it's weird, man. I, dude, they never I mean, found any trace of him. There's been the, the FBI had a thing a few years ago where somebody – like, there's people dude, who dedicate their whole lives trying to solve this thing. Right. It's, it's like the Kennedy assassination on a smaller level. And somebody found parachute parts, and, and they concluded that it wasn't it wasn't one of the parachutes. That's what you're looking for at this point. You ain't looking for human bone or currency. You're looking for parachute parts. Right, right. So it, it's an enduring mystery, and, and I love it. I love it. It's as American as Don McLean and Apple Pie. It's as American as Don McLean, Donald Trump, and Apple Pie. So what about Donald Trump in January 16th, just before inauguration? We're going to build. This could, Eric, could, could you announce that this could be it? This could, in fact, be the last time 
that you donned the cape and cowl and played Donald Trump in a comedy show? I mean, breaking news right here on Jackman Radio. This could be it. Demand is going to go down, Mike, once uh, Damien's not in office anymore. Um, you know, there'll always be some kind of demand for a Donald Trump rodeo clown that I provide. Like a, a sick, lot. sick, perverse, like uh, kind of like Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 when it's like they're getting 40 bucks for a birthday party. And yeah, I mean, I, $40 is not enough to get me to come out and do that. But uh, it's along those lines, Mike. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, I don't know. I haven't I haven't performed live as Trump since February. The last thing I did was that Shriners gig down in um, <clears throat> Wilmington, Mass, in front of 700 people for that uh, fundraiser for, for the Shriners burn, uh, child burn victim uh, transport fund, which was awesome, which was one of my favorite, one of my favorite all-time gigs, really. All right, so for anybody who says Trump never did any, anything good for anyone, a comedian dressed as Trump leading several hundred men in a locker-up chant raised thousands of dollars for child burn victims to be transported. That is a good thing. That was incredible, Mike, leading the locker up chant. I felt like General Flynn up there on the dais. <laughs> Dude, I guess Flynn fucking gave the slip on Emmerich at the rally down in D.C. He ran from him? And was like, oh, General Flynn. Oh, he went, like, Emmerich thought maybe they could be buddy-buddy. Like, Trust a the plan, we'll have some whiskey. Like, wait, 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 they'll have a barbecue, like, with sparklers? Yeah, like, like a whatever it was. Like, fourth, yeah. are you talking Fourth of July backyard barbecue, trust the plan? Yeah, some kind of purge, like, cue fucking Pepe drop, and it just, it, they didn't. Did Flynn fucking couldn't get away from him fast enough, Mike? Yeah, he gave the slip on Emmerich. That's what I heard. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's probably true. That's I think so they good. used Emmerich to a large degree, man. Uh, Stone oh, and the Trump people. Oh, yeah. They, they used Emmerich, man, because, you know, at this point, man, we're, we're, we're examining Emmerich's legacy. And for anybody who's been following Alex Jones or paid attention to what he's been doing for, you know, 20 years, most of what he says and does, you know, at least from back in the day, is is true and comes from a place of conviction. Um, of course, he became a, a major supporter and surrogate for Donald Trump um, and, a, and somewhat of a mouthpiece. But, man, you go back and you look what Emmerich did do when he busted wide open Bohemian Grove. He confronted <sighs> David Gherkin. He confronted the Clintons. He confronted the Bushes. Dude, he did Rick Perry. Governor Perry. Rick Dude. Perry's a whore. He called Rick Perry a whore. Outside of his mansion down in Texas. Rick Perry would go on to serve as uh, Trump's secretary of... Stupid? <laughs> secretary of dumbass. I don't even know what he did. He, he probably doesn't even know. He kept his head down, whatever he, he did. He spent a couple of years trying to pick up what frames he wanted for his glasses. Oh, God, it's so good. Yeah, when Ron Paul was up there on stage with him in, uh, what was that, 08 or 12? Ron Paul's like, oh, the 20. I'll get rid of all the agencies. Rick Perry's like, I'll get, I'll get rid of five of them. He's trying to count. He, yeah, yeah. He's looking over at Dr. No. He's like, six. Ron six. Paul's like, how about the IRS? How about DHS? How about the Federal Reserve? He's like, fucking, he's foaming at the bits, dude. He, he'd give every gov agency, get rid of all of them. <laughs> yeah, he'd get it resorted down to a dog whistle at a pool that only has four hours a week, you know? <laughs> so good. Go back to uh, the gold standard, too, Mike. Well, the government which governs least governs best. He's everything. Dude, can we, can we get to Tom Cruise, Mike? Yeah, we can. We absolutely can. Tom Cruise, so on, on a good day, he's like five, five. six, five, mm. five. So with lifts, he's five, eight, five, nine. Like as tall as us. We're not tall guys. We're like five, nine, probably. Yeah, with my cowboy boots, I'm about five, 11. Okay. Yeah. Google lists you at five, 11. Yeah, or oh, what is it? I said to Patty Tops, Upper Deck has you at six two three zero five. Yeah, 
<laughs> your measurement your draft- year was less before steroids. Yeah, your draft day measurements. <laughs> so but, Tom uh, Cruise is filming Mission Impossible Seven somewhere. I don't, I don't even know where he's filming it. And some I'll- some fucking Sea Org offshoot out in the ocean. <laughs> obviously, obviously, there's COVID restrictions. Um, there's Dianetics. There's uh, you know, there, there's anti uh, Kelly Preston. Anti. Um, there's auditing stuff going on. Anti Leah Remini security forces that that are. Oh <laughs> I mean, they're probably paying someone a hundred grand to make sure Lee Remini doesn't show up with like a fucking camera. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're doing your Mission Impossible thing. You know, you remember when you did the thing with the gold plate with Miskivich and you made Miskivich's wife go away? Yeah. You know, that's Lee. Dude, Leah Remini's last decade. I got to give it to her. <laughs> the first two decades, she made it from Scientology. The last decade, it was anti-Scient. Either way, it's Scientology. Now it's the corpse of Scientology. She had. She ate the fat. Look, she had the fat from Scientology. She got the good cuts. She got the filet mignon. She got the ribeye. She got all that stuff. Now it's maybe, it's like the tongue, the flank stank, the eyeball. She's still eating from the Church of Scientology. The bone marrow. It's, it's just from a different part of the cow. Scientology bone broth. It's a cow, but it's no longer a sacred cow. It's a cow corpse with flies buzzing and shit caked up on it. But make no mistake, dude, she's still getting that grip from Scientology. And I give her a lot of credit for exposing the bullshit and the lies. And, dude, even Miskavich's father? I know. What is he, like, 80? He's, like, in his 80s, right? He's old. He's old. Yeah, he's old, man. Talk about a grift, dude. I mean, dude, the fucking gold, like, the the plates that they wear, dude. Like, I feel like that rapper there. What was What's that rapper's name with the clock with the... Oh. Uh, que- um, oh. Shot of Love or... Uh, give me a sec. Had, like, I'll get it. He had like a reality show on on uh, VH1. He looks like kind of he's just like a like he he's kind of just like a uh, like Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav. His real name is William Jonathan Drayton Jr. In case you were wondering, he's five seven. He's sixty one. Okay, so he's like an inch taller than Tom Cruise. So he has he's like the gold necklace, dude. Like Scientology, dude. They have like a plates. Yeah. So Flavor Flav has a has a clock that you can find at any school, any public school. And then gold plate, they spray it with uh, gold. Yeah, yeah. They, they go to Home Depot, they fucking spray it up. Scientology, dude, they have like, they have like, this is like silver chrome china. These plates that they hang, dude, and they do it for LRH. And, and Tom Cruise is the head of a, of a grift that gets tax exemption. We're talking to the tune of billions, and they got that what, in like the early '90s, or dude, when they got that tax exempt. You know, you know about the rally I'm talking about, right? Where it was announced that they got the tax exemption. Yeah, I'm gonna look was, it up. Was that that was sometime? I I believe it was sometime in the '90s, dude. And Tom Cruise got it done. Boy, did he get it done! So he's almost sixty. He's still making these Mission Impossible movies, and he went on a rant, dude. There was somebody who did some kind of breach some kind of you know covid breach on the set of mission impossible seven and what did he have to say eric he was like i'm in charge here we are talking about people being able to put fucking food on their kids tables and paying for their college funds you're fired you're done if you fuck up again i mean i mean i wonder mike if this shit is just like planned and they just is it all it's a table read they, they got yeah, they're just it's a table read it's the know? audio from a zoom table read you know? they got tom cruise doing an audit on someone from the Sea Org, and they're in. They the got London. Simon Pegg being pegged. They got someone in a tanker, some kind of fucking Scientology tanker out in the Mediterranean, or Lake Cuomo there in Italy with fucking um, George Clooney, you know, with Julia Roberts. 
You know, Julia Roberts is fisting George Clooney. They're talking about Ocean 69, you know? Right, yeah, Ocean 69 is the next one. Ocean 69 starring Tom, uh, (laughs) George Clooney (laughs) and Brad Pitt. They're going to break Harvey Weinstein out of jail. That's the next heist because he's got to produce produce (laughs) the sequel for Shakespeare in love. Oh, my God. I, I love I love that Hollywood's been decimated and just exposed for what it is. Just a disgusting, rotten cesspit. You know, well, at this point, it's all remakes, dude. And I got to say, man, in remakes and continuations and uh, nostalgia, I have been loving Cobra Kai on Netflix, which started as a YouTube pipe dream and just captured my heart. Cobra Kai, man. So they basically, it's interesting the way they frame Cobra Kai, uh, the series, if you haven't seen it, which debuted back in... 2018 on youtube on like youtube plus or youtube prime whatever whatever they were doing with youtube to try and kind of like beef it up and make it better and uh they got ralph macchio they got the blonde dude i forget his real name uh zubka or i'm gonna butcher his real name they got him to participate they got you know some people to come back from the original film and they're looking at the series from the perspective of the cobra kai dude from the first film and he's saying hey you know i had uh i was dating the most popular most beautiful girl in school you know things were going well and then this this new guy came along you know from new jersey daniel larusso you know got in my face got in my business and basically stole my girlfriend away from me and 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 attacked me and then when you see the flashback and you look at it from his perspective it's kind of interesting and they talk about the fact that he had an abusive stepfather. Yes, he had a lot of money. He came from, you know, the right side of the, of the tracks, the Silver Spoon. But that's not really who he was. He rejected it. And you kind of look from his perspective and his angle, and you see things totally different. And obviously, you know, Mr. Miyagi is long since passed. I think the actor who played him, uh, Pat uh, Moriarty, passed in 05 or 06 or something like that. So he's, he's not, obviously not involved, but he's still very much... His influence is part of the series. You got Ralph Macchio back. You've got, I don't want to spoil it too much, but you have all these characters that come back from the original series. And then you have all these new kids that are coming into Cobra Kai and coming in under um, Daniel LaRusso and what, what Miyagi taught him. And it's just, it's an interesting dynamic. And season three is coming on Netflix uh, in uh, the first or second week of January. And I'm looking forward to it. There's not too many shows that I, that I really love this year. I liked Bly Manor. Um, um, I liked Murder on Middle Beach, which we can talk about, but Cobra Kai has really been entertaining and nostalgic, um, fun, but it's also offered something new. So I really enjoyed that because I, you know, I love the Karate Kid. I love the Karate Kid uh, series and uh, happy to see that it's, that it's kind of back. Yeah, I was worried at first, Mike, that it was going to be nacho cheese. And a couple of years ago when they, I'm like, okay, this is a YouTube production how how funded is it going to be who they're going to dredge up from the original who's fucking alive from the original a lot of them are right pat marita died in 05 mr miyagi died in 05 oh mr miyagi may he rest in peace yeah poor one out but uh i like it mike and you you inspired me to uh to watch it and hang in there and binge it with you and i'm glad you did here we're here for it you know the other show that we, we really uh, are looking forward to is the Obi-Wan from Disney Plus, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's been confirmed that Hayden Christensen's coming back as Darth Vader um, and it's taking place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, which came out in 2005. As well. How excited are you, Mike? I'll do. 
whatever you ask of me. Dude, he was panned. Dude, I've always said that Hayden Christensen's performance as Anakin in episode two and three is worthwhile, um, is good, regardless of how shitty George Lucas's dialogue and his script was. Hayden Christensen did the best with it. He's made a lot of great movies. He got shit on, I think, uh, kind of unfairly. And I like that there's another look being taken. I, I, I mean, stack it up to Rise of Skywalker, dude. It's better than Rise of Skywalker every day of the week. You want to talk about a fucking mess? That's a Rise mess. of Skywalker was hot trash. <laughs> you know? I, was talking to, uh, I was talking to Poopsie. We pretty much agreed, dude, that The Force Awakens in Rogue One is the best that we've had in the last five years. That's it. Well, yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, obviously Mandalorian, but I'm talking about like yeah. film. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rise of Skywalker. Was, I just don't like the direction they took Luke Skywalker in. My, my dream was that he was going to be in this shit, dude, fucking shit up as an Obi-Wan type figure, as the elder statesman of the Jedi. And they had him on some island drinking some breast milk from some weird creature and fucking around and, and acting like a grumpy old curmudgeon. You know, it was like, what a waste. That was a waste. Total fucking waste, man. I get where you're coming from. I kind of like that, though. I like that they kind of subverted that and they kind of turned him into like a miserable old codger because he was... So when Alec Guinness did the first Star Wars film, I think he was around the same age or a little bit younger than Mark Hamill when Mark Hamill came back for Force Awakens. It's very close. Hmm. And same with Ralph Macchio. Um, Ralph Macchio is now the same age that Miyagi was in the original Karate Kid movie which is hard to believe. It seems like Ralph Macchio's had more adrenochrome. Maybe they didn't have Japanese sushi adrenochrome when he was doing it back in the day, but they sure as fuck have it now. <laughs> I like what they did with Luke Skywalker because, you know, he was like the savior figure. He, he, he redeemed his father, Anakin Skywalker, but then everything he tried to do after that to train a new, a new generation of Jedi got twisted and turned by the dark side through Ben, through Ben Solo and Kylo Ren. So, it was an interesting arc that they took Luke. A lot, a lot of fans didn't like it, and yeah, I get I, that. I, I didn't like totally, it. Like, I just, I just wanted it to be typecast. I wanted it to be what everyone expected. You it wanted to it be. to be comfortable, like a glove. I wanted it to be the com- comfortable um, slipper that you wear. You know. And, I know. Uh, I, I liked it. I really like. I loved what Ryan Johnson did with Last Jedi. Um, I thought, I thought Last Jedi is better than Rise of Skywalker, and I think, and I think there's going to be people who are going to go back who judge Last Jedi very harshly. Who will probably agree with that. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? I need to watch Last Jedi again. I'll, I'll, I'll give Last Jedi another chance. I think I've only seen it once. Well, he, Luke still comes out at the end, and he still saves the day, but that's he does, it without, he does it without being that's, aggressive. That's, or, that's, that's no planes, though. It's TV fakery. <laughs> oh, he's a complete hologram. No, he's actually a troll. He's a, he, he, <clears throat> Luke Skywalker plays an old wizard troll on his nephew. This is a great, true uh, incredible. thing about it. But, but no, I'm excited. Mandalorian's been great. I'm excited for um, uh, Andor, the Cassian Andor, which is a prequel to Rogue One. That looks incredible. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to be great. We, we love Mandalorian. There's yeah. other stuff coming out. So there's, there's new Star Wars stuff coming out that's going to be really good. We've got, we got our Soma locked in for five years at least, right? Fuck yeah. And George Lucas is just counting his shekels. Yeah, what does that guy do every day? farts just fucking he probably can't even believe first can't believe he's alive when he wakes up he lets john favreau write dialogue for yoda and make him his omelets you know (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you master i'm picturing john favreau oh thank you you know oh thanks master do you want the kim you want kimchi on that you want some kimchi it's like a chef show mandalorian hybrid chef show is everything it's so good dude it is actually really good that's fucking so back to the comedy show, Eric. So tell us a little bit about the comedy show. What's going on? 
what kind of, you know, what people can expect to, when they come to this. Yeah, so I'm headlining, headlining my first major comedy show since February. Um, we're doing it at the Woodbound Inn in Ringe on Saturday, January 16th. Let me pull up the flyer just so I can get some details for the people. So I can rattle off facts. It's called Trump's farewell address question mark because quite frankly, we don't know if I'm leaving. I don't know if I'm leaving. Okay. Putin doesn't know if I'm leaving. He congratulated Biden, which quite frankly really hurt my feelings. Okay. When I saw that, when he saw, when I saw that Vladimir Putin did that, I said, okay, what are you doing? Why, why didn't Why didn't you text me first? Why didn't you send a Zoom thing, a binga banga boonga to Baron? We could have done a Zoom call together. Okay? You could have had Oliver Stone pass a note, quite frankly. Oliver something. Stone could have written something on the bathroom wall at the White House saying, call Vladimir, it's very important. But um, yeah, Trump's farewell address, Saturday, January 16th, 2021. 2021, Mike, the year that we turned 35 years old. Woodbound in... 247 Woodbound Road, Ringe, New Hampshire, 03461. Tickets are $50, and it includes a three-course meal. I don't know what the menu is. If you call the, wood, call the Woodbound to get your ticket, first of all, there's only, there's only a set amount of tickets because of COVID restrictions. They're doing the six feet apart song and dance. They're doing the mask thing. Um, they had a comedy show there a couple months back, and they, they did minimal advertising, and they had, a, they had a hell of a night. It was packed. Um, people had a great time and it went off without a hitch. So we're looking to replicate that this night. So your tickets are 50 bucks and includes a three course dinner. If you want to go order your ticket today, 603-532-8341. And it's just a bunch of great people who are running that place, man. It's just everyday people from here in New Hampshire who are busting their ass and working hard to, uh, you know, keep going and and we have we got to support businesses like that because business small business and and medium size and mom and pa is getting decimated by this this virus so you know everything is just being corporate being turned into a corporate conglomerate and corporate paste but to def, you know defiance in the face of that is this great place the Fitzwilliam Inn and these are very unique to New Hampshire these beautiful inns that we have around here and especially here in the Monadnock region. And um right, you got the Fitzwilliam Inn, the Monadnock Inn, the Woodbound Inn. Yeah. Um, I don't, the one in Temple, is that still going? Remember you got the, the Benjamin uh, Prescott. Yeah, the Birchwood and Fitzwilliam or yeah. uh, uh, Temple out in Temple. Yeah, so this this is, is special, man. This is a special night and I'm gonna be writing all new material. I'm gonna perform some of the greatest hits and I'm gonna um, be opening. Mike, you're opening I'm I'm more excited about your routine than mine, to be honest. You're gonna be fucking, you're gonna be hilarious, dude. You got a lot of funny shit to talk about. I always try to make it different and unique every time. I I only perform once every year or two years, so we it's rare. Yeah, we don't we don't want to saturate, and that's one of the things with my Trump Act, man. I didn't want to overdo it and do something, have something every week or a show every month, and people get sick of it and being when like. When was oh, your last Trump Act in the area? Was it 2016 or 20? Was the one in Jaffrey that we did at the VFW? Yeah. And that was summer of, was that summer of 16? Summer of 16. Yeah. So that, that was the last perf- big performance, headlining performance I did here in our, our neighborhood, our neck of the woods. That was a Trump show. So, you well, know, folks, this is it. Get your tickets. This is, this is going to be a really good show. It's going to be funny. There's some surprises. 
we have some surprises already lined up for it. Some things you're not expecting. Um, it's going to be entertaining. If you're entertained by our podcast, by our posts, by what we do, by what Eric does, you're not going to want to miss it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun night, and um, going to going to entertain you. It's going to be entertaining. You're going to laugh, and we we need to laugh, man. After after this this year that we've had, the way things are now, people are people need to laugh. Laughing laughing is beautiful. It's a human. It connects all of us, man. We're all human. We all love to laugh. We all need to laugh more. So it's a catharsis we all need, man. It'll, it'll be my honor to entertain you for a couple hours and make you laugh. You won't be sad. You won't be sad that you were there. You'll be sad if you miss it. So true. So true. So important. So, dude, God King's got at this point um, about a month, just over a month. What do you really think he's going to do with pardons? Is he going to pardon Snowden? Is he going to help Assange? Or is he going to try and pardon his kids, Giuliani himself? Like, what's the real deal with the pardons? Yeah, well, he's got to get through, you know, the most important people who helped get him there, you know, who helped do the dirty. Bannon, Bannon needs protection, Mike. Roger Stone needs protection. Didn't he already pardon Roger Stone? Did he? Maybe he did. Well, Flynn. Flynn. Flynn is all set. Assange and Snowden, you know, I don't know. There, there's a Project Veritas. You say what you will about O'Keefe. It's kind of ghoulish, but he released a recording from like 2011 of Julian Assange talking to a State Department lawyer about the... Somebody who worked for Crooked, right? For Crooked, talking about the cables that were going to be released, the 250,000 unredacted cables. And Assange was basically saying, I, I can do some stuff to maybe try and stop it from being released. I mean, he was, it, 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 it totally spun, twisted the narrative that Assange is just a reckless American hating, you know, no. uh, ter- uh, terrorist comforting idiot. Well, look what he did with Glenn Greenwald and, and how carefully he released things. No, no American soldier, no American ally, no one has ever been harmed as a result of the cables or as a result of the release. And he had to flee and go to the Ecuadorian embassy. And while he was there, he was actually being spied on. He was being tracked. They were embedding and inserting people into the embassy that um, obviously didn't have his best interests in mind and they wanted to um, you know, know what was going on and spy on them and subvert and, uh, you know, keep tabs on them. I mean, Pamela Anderson, it's interesting to see that Pamela Anderson, you know, the Baywatch, uh, beauty playboy model, um, has become one of his largest advocates. That's a very interesting thing to see. And she released a, uh, a photo of her in a bikini appealing directly to Trump, (laughs) about trying to help Snowden get, uh, excuse me, Assange and get him some assistance. Um, and another thing that's very interesting about the whole thing is that uh, during this time, he had a, I think a wife or he got married or, or a girlfriend and they had, they have children. They have at least one child together. And uh, Assange is, is barely 50 and he's looking at a hundred plus years. And he's basically being deprived and tortured at Belmarsh, the prison in England. So there's, England and the U.S. could really do him a solid because what he exposed, what Snowden exposed, was criminality. Their, their exposure of the crimes is not the criminality. 
the criminality is the stuff that they exposed. And that's the whole shoot the messenger thing mm -hmm. that's going on. It's going to set a very bad precedent. So, you know, I, I, I really hope that I don't, I have no, I have, I literally have no faith in Joe Biden helping Snowden or Assange. Oh. There, there's actually more chance of Trump yeah. doing something, which is fucked up to say, which is, you got Liz Cheney and those neocon ghouls based in Lindsey Graham basically calling for Snowden's execution and Assange, really, let's be honest. Yep. And you have Matt Gates, who I know we touched on earlier, and Amash and Massey and Tulsi, who are trying to do something about this. Where is AOC on this? Where's the squad? Where are all these progressives in Congress? Where's Bernie Sanders on this in the Senate? Like, yeah. I want to know, truthfully. Like, I, I really want to know. Like, where, where are all the liberal and progressive Democrats who actually believe in freedom of speech, who believe in a free press? Where are you on this? That's a great question, Mike. I can't even tell you. I, I've, I've never really heard any of that. I've heard them play uh, part identity politics and victim fucking Olympics. I've heard them all do that every day. That's all they do. But I haven't heard any of them talk about this stuff. And this is literally stuff that millions and millions of people have lost their lives over. And it's serious shit. And uh, all those people you mentioned, Massey, Amash, Tulsi, Rand Paul, Gates, Ro Khanna, they've all spoken favorably of Trump. I mean, dude, if Trump is really deep, really wants to fucking stick it to the deep state and not through this stupid bullshit, bifurcated left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, partisan, partisan, uh, lens of what the deep state is because it's way beyond that. You know, people, people, ah, it's, the, the phrase has been so bastardized. We've talked a lot about that. Oh, and I'll, I'll tell everybody again, research Peter Dale, Google Peter Dale Scott, deep state. Mm. He's been talking about it literally since the eighties, at least. Right. And your and your basic MAGA person is clueless on that. And it's like people who politicize Jeffrey Epstein and come at that from a left or right. You know what? I'm with Jason Burmis. It's all the predator class. It's a predator class. It's not left or right, man. None of this is left or right. And, you know, we got people bitching. At, oh, my God. Did you vote for Biden? Did you vote for Biden? You better have voted for Biden because you know better. No, motherfucker. I've been paying attention for 20 years. And I've always tried to promote the best candidates. And I got laughed at. I got told that third parties are not the time. It's not your time. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. If you actually listened to Eric and I, what we were saying 12, 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't be in this predicament where you have to choose between Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. This is the most important election of our lives. We had better candidates all along, but you were either too fucking lazy or too fucking stupid or too brainwashed to even do 30 minutes of a Google research to understand and know that there were candidates that you actually lined up with and agreed with more, but you were such a fucking asshole and such a fucking sheep that all you could do was look at the screen in front of you and go with that. So I don't know what to tell you. We have Joe Biden now. Great. God, yeah. that's fucking incredible. Oh, my incredible. God. Oh, my God. I can fucking finally sleep better at night that we got Joe Biden. God, I can't wait for a new crime bill. I can't wait for a new Iraq war. I can't wait for another fucking, you know, lie from the fucking government. But at least it's going to have a fucking woke rainbow flag on it. Yeah, woke, woke drones. You know, tell that to the people in Syria. Tell that to Richard Medhurst. Anybody listening to this right now, go look up Richard Medhurst and look up his podcast and look up his perspective. 
okay? And see how great the Joe Biden, Barack Obama foreign policy has been to him and his country the last 10 years. And then come truthfully talk to me with your social justice woke bullshit. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. That's all I ask of you. It's Christmas. We're all entitled to something, right? He's like, hey, man, don't touch me. Oh, Marco Rubio? I don't want to be tight. Look, man, don't touch me. I don't know who... He's like, they got this clown over here. He knew who I, he, I don't Mike, know. Oh, he, oh, he doesn't know me. He wants to go up in the back house. He knew who Emmerich was, Emmerich's still the one. Emmerich's still the one, dude. I know. We'll never abandon him. We love him. But that's all I got for you. So, I mean, you know, we got uh, 2021. I got a feeling 21 is going to be a good year. I hope you guys come to the comedy show. We're going to keep doing what we're doing in whatever capacity we – excuse me, whatever capacity we can do. So, Well, Mike, list your top – 10 songs of 2020 before we go. Oh, yeah. So tell, tell everyone what your favorite songs are this year. So in no particular order, the year 2020 did offer us some great songs. We talked about TV shows. I would say we'll start with number 10. We'll count down from 10, number one. Count down from 20, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, number 10, I really enjoyed Savior Complex by Phoebe Bridgers. Um, she appeared on Jimmy Fallon. And she, she looks like uh, one of the characters from Harry Potter. She has a very beautiful voice, uh, very mysterious, very alarming sound with some steel pedals, some piano, some uh, very longing vocals. And I highly recommend you check that out. Number nine, I got to go with a band that's been around, you know, for almost 60 years, Rolling Stones, living in a ghost town. Mm. That was one of the songs of the year, dude, right there. The Rolling Stones haven't released an original album in, in many, many years. And uh, it was refreshing. That song did it for me. When they, all, when they all come in, I'm like, whoa. We've been listening to it a lot this year. So, I'm living, living in, a in a ghost town. He's like, we used to gather out, and then we all got locked, locked down. down. You can hear locked down clearly, because that's your Soros new world there again. Klaus Schwabi. There's, Schwab. there's photos of Mick Jagger with Ghislaine Maxwell, folks. Google it. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. They didn't eat babies that night. Um, <laughs> number eight, I really, really like this song. It just came out very recently. It's called Chinatown by Bleachers, featuring Bruce Springsteen. Talk about like a hometown anthem. Talk about being in New Jersey, getting French fries, having diarrhea, but still liking the song. Girl, a girl like you. My name is Bruce Springsteen. I'm 70. I'm so uh, it, was, it was good. Dude. Uh, when he has the glasses on, he backs them too when they're in the car, at the, next uh, to the car in the video. It was, it was great. Too. A girl like you. Check out Chinatown by Bleachers featuring Bruce Springsteen. It's going to get you there, dude. It's really going to get you there. Um, uh, number seven, Make You Okay by Lara Lynn. Uh, Lara Lynn is an artist I've been following since 2015 uh, when I watched True Detective Season 2, which she had a big, which we've talked about in this podcast. I went and saw her. She's written music with um, Johnny Cash's daughter. You know, she just has a really great Americana roots kind of sound and uh she really has her own style and she's really coming to her own and and uh it's recognizable she has a beautiful voice her playing is incredible and uh it's, it's just a great track so make you okay by lara lynn definitely check that one out really good number six uh caution by the killers mm. this came out during the first first half of 20 
20. And uh, I've loved the Killers since high school, probably since 2003, 2004, uh, Samstown, um, those early tracks. And, uh, you know, it's familiar. I saw the Killers perform at Boston Calling two or three years ago. I forget the year. It was either 2017 or 2018. And it was. You went with Humby, right? I went with Hum. Yeah, me and Hum went and saw the Killers. The producer of the show. Shout out to Ricky Gray. We love you. Thanks for doing a good job, Ricky. Uh, number five, uh, Can't Look Back by Matt Carney. Oh, dude. Matt Carney, another one of those artists that I've just, you know, the last 14 years been listening to since college, been following him since Nothing Left to Lose. And he's just consistently recorded great music. I've seen him perform twice. We've seen him twice. We saw him at the Bank of America Pavilion with Keen back in 2009. And we saw him at the House of Blues in Boston in 2011. And he delivered each time. Just a great show. It sure great did. Great show. Tony oh. liked them too. Yeah, my father really liked them. You know, and, and for a lot of people out there who say there's no good music or there's no good new artists, check out Matt Carney. There is a lot of good new artists. And most of the, most of the acts on my list are newer artists. But you got there is good stuff out there. You got to just look for it. You know what I'm saying? All right, number four, uh, the band's called Future Islands. The song is called Born in a War. These guys have, especially the lead singer, they have the grit, they have the emotion, they have the raw intensity. If you watch a live performance by Future Islands, especially the appearance on Letterman in 2014, you will literally never be the same again. I mean, dude, he's a cross between Marlon Brando and uh, Greg King. and The Cookie Monster. Yeah. There's there's so many things going on, dude. There's literally no denying it. There's literally no denying it, dude. Number three, um, Back in Your Arms by Rince featuring Hatchie. What a beautiful dream pop uh, Brit rock song. Or not, not, not even Brit, no. These guys are from Australia. Australia. This is, these guys are kind of following the footsteps of uh, NXS. Um, Colin Hay- eh, maybe not Colin Hay as much, but you want to talk one of the best acts from Australia? Hatchie and Rince. Check these guys out. So Back in Your Arms by Rince featuring Hatchie. And we it's saw Hatchie. We did. We saw Hatchie last year at Great Scott in Boston, which is now shut down because of COVID. Thank you very much. Number two, uh, Cruel by Corinne. This is like a goth pop, uh, you know, electro nightmare, but, it, but it's actually really good. Very catchy. It's a very catchy song. It's very androgynous. Um, you know, it's, it's, like the goth kids in school that you, you were kind of interested in, but people maybe made fun of, but they actually had something to say. I would check the video out. Even without the video, listening to the track, it's a great song. So, um, Cruel by Corinne. And my number one song of 2020, for many reasons, one of my favorite artists of all time, the greatest songwriter of all time, Murder Most Foul by Bob Dylan. This is just a mega track. I mean, this this could be an old its own album. This is a song that I think is sixteen minutes. Maybe it might be shorter than that. You might have to check, Eric. It's between it's between fourteen and sixteen minutes. Jamie, check that out. Jamie, check it out. And Bob Dylan has done his research, and from what I, the research and the reading I did on this track, Bob Dylan had a fascination and a strong research into the Kennedy assassination pretty much months after it happened. He had his driver take him to Dealey Plaza 
just a few months after the shooting. So Dylan talks about Jack Ruby. He talks about the CIA. He talks about the mafia. He talks about Bobby Kennedy suspecting the intelligence agencies just after it happened. He talks about the Bay of Pigs. He talks about Guy Bannister. He talks about David Ferry. Dylan drops so many, so many clues and, and red pills red in this pills. song that you, you, it deserves being listened to multiple times. Mike, did, I've you, been, I, did you know that Fiona Apple plays piano on it? Yes, I did know that. It's, yeah, six, Dylan, it's 16 minutes, 56 seconds. Okay, so it's a 17-minute song. song. Fiona Apple got a call from one of the, her collaborators. No, first of all, Fiona Apple got a text. Fiona Apple got a text from one of her collaborators that said, I can't tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing a project. We want you to play piano on it. And Fiona Apple was kind of ignored it, kind of was like, eh, I'm doing my own thing. I'm not really doing that much, you know. I'm kind of working on a new album of my own songs. And then she got a, she got the phone call from the collaborator and said, okay, I, you know, I'm not supposed to really say, but, but it's Bob Dylan. Bob wants you to come in and play piano, uh, you know, for his new album. So of course, Fiona Apple's right there. There's a great photo of Fiona Apple and Bob Dylan together uh, from the Grammys in like, I think 98 or 99 when uh, Dylan won for, his incredible album, Time Out of Mind, which if you've never listened to, is an amazing album. It's got Not Dark Yet uh, on there. It's got Standing in the Doorway. Um, it just it has amazing songs on it, featured in the soundtrack of uh, Wonder Boys. So there's that great photo of uh, Fiona, a young Fiona Apple and, and uh, Bob Dylan in his mid to late 50s together. So Fiona Apple goes down and contributes piano. And she said, I, I, am, I am so underqualified to appear on this track and, and 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 bob said to her don't worry about it i want you to be yourself i want you to come in and play and she was in the session for murder most foul for probably under five hours altogether but the track itself is, is sparse um it's almost like a poem that's being rolled along by a little bit of musical accompaniment it's not about the music. It's really about what Dylan's saying. And he's very clear in his verses and the stanzas and what he's talking about. When he talks about Jack Ruby, he talks about how they killed Kennedy like a dog. I mean, it's anybody who listens to this, there can be no, you know, no mystery about what Bob Dylan feels about it at 79, almost going on 80. He just cashed out. He got $300 million, $400 million for his song catalog what a fucking bookend to his, to his whole career. And the first Bob Dylan song to go number one on the U.S. charts. Wow. I don't know how you top that. I mean, Dylan, yeah, Dylan did his homework. And uh, that's incredible. Well, that, that's, that's going to do it for our episode tonight. We really appreciate you guys listening. And, um, you know, there's always so much more we could talk about. But we'll do another episode at the end of the line next year down the road. But um, if you like what we do, check us out. I'm on Twitter at Jackman radio. Come say hi to me on Instagram uh, at Senator Jackman. You can find us on Spotify podcasts under Jackman radio, uh, jackmanradio.podbean.com. We're on Facebook. And uh, if you want to become a patron, throw us five bucks a month. Go to patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. And, uh, yeah, we're going to keep doing these. And we've got some calls in the fire for some pretty big-name guests for 2021 that we want to have come on. Talking to a lot of cool people. 
And uh, there's always just so much more to learn, to research, to talk about. And uh, I just hope that you and your family are doing well and you're staying hopeful and keeping the faith and better, better days are ahead of us. So I appreciate you listening and we'll catch up with you next time. Have a great day.